Welcome everyone to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Andrea Spiker from the University of Wisconsin. Today I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Dean Matsuda, who is a hip specialist at Premier Hip Arthroscopy in Marina del Rey in Manhattan Beach, California. Dr. Matsuda was the author of an editorial commentary titled, Incremental Decompression of CAM Femoral Acetabular Impingement Must Be Assessed in Real Time by Arthroscopic Dynamic Examination, Playbook for the Perfect Femoroplasty, which was published in the April 2022 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. This commentary was based on the article titled, Intraoperative Automated Radiographic Visualization Tool Allows for Higher Accuracy of CAM Lesion Resection When Used by Novice Surgeons for Arthroscopic Femoroplasty, Lowering the Learning Curve, by Edward Beck, Jorge Chala, Laura Krivisich, Haley Taylor, Ruth Godby, and Shane No, also published in the April 2022 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, Dr. Matsuda, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Andrea. Dean, would you mind starting us off by telling us a little bit about your practice and experience with hip arthroscopy? Yes, I started hip arthroscopy uh, about two decades ago, and I was at the time working at Kaiser, and we had demand for uh, hip arthroscopy patients, and our system didn't have any uh, experienced surgeons, anyone doing this procedure. So I was able to look up and found Dr. Tom Sampson in San Francisco, who has since become a good friend. And uh, he invited me out to spend six weeks with him. And uh, I went there just to learn how to try to put a scope inside a hip without, you know, damaging the inside of the hip. And he, at that time, was developing uh, CAM uh, decompression or femoroplasty of uh, the femoral neck. And so he was teaching me not only how to access the joint, but how to do uh, CAM decompressions. Uh, and I had never, ever done hip arthroscopy before. Um, so my very first case back at Kaiser was a full-fledged arthroscopic CAM decompression. It's evolved a lot, and I'll, I'll talk about that probably later, but my practice now, um, I'm in private practice now, primarily focused on hip arthroscopy for impingement. I do get a, a large number of simultaneous bilateral hip arthroscopy patients and started doing that about a decade ago. Uh, and more recently now, there are several studies documenting that it's safe and efficacious, so we're getting more and more referrals for that procedure. Um, like many of us, we're seeing more abductor tendon repairs and ischiofemoral impingement decompressions. But my practice in particular, we're getting uh, an, a significant increase in domestic and international referrals for patients with osteitis pubis and pubic plate avulsion injuries, often secondary to FAI in the athletic patient. Would you mind sharing with us your thoughts in general on the importance of the CAM osteoplasty or the femoral, osteo, uh, the femoroplasty portion of the hip arthroscopy? And how has your overall approach to this portion of the procedure changed over the course of your practice? Yeah, well, well having been on the other side of the arthroscope, having both of my hips treated with large CAM deformities, you know, I have that, that perspective. Uh, I see that uh, CAM impingement and its decompression is a very important part of what we do. I think the outcome studies are showing that, even the longer-term studies now. 
I, I began doing uh, the classic anterolateral quadrant resection using three or, or often four portals, large capsulotomy, uh, relatively lots of fluoroscopy views with its commensurate radiation. And uh, over time, um, I evolved, and uh, now I just use uh, anterolateral and a modified mid-anterior portal, which we published. Um, and you know, we still use fluoroscopy selectively, and we often put the C-arm instead of on the opposite side of the, the patient. We put it between the legs as it uh, facilitates our bilateral cases. Over time, basic science studies were suggesting that there was uh, CAM impingement extending more medially into the anteromedial quadrant. And uh, so we did a, a clinical study in arthroscopy several years back showing that patients could have improved flex tip internal rotation if we took down the uh, anteromedial critical corner, as we called it. And uh, we actually showed a, a landmark there, which we called the residence bridge of the hip. And then subsequent to that, we started uh, seeing more patients that had extension of their cam deformities into the posterior superior quadrant, requiring uh, more posterior cam resection. So we developed uh, our techniques to be able to accommodate that as well. Obviously, same restraints anatomically as with the open approach with the avoiding the, the retinacular feeder vessels. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's, I, I agree with you completely on the really nuanced details of a camera section. And it's so interesting to hear how that has changed over the years. Your editorial commentary itself was such a fantastic read. In it, you presented your playbook for the approach to the perfect femoroplasty. So I was hoping you could take the readers through that playbook now and highlight each of the key points. Sure. So the first part about, uh, we called it know your opponent, was basically to just like studying, um, you know, films of your opponent before a, a big game. But the x-rays, the MRIs are, are two-dimensional representations of a, a three-dimensional reality. And uh, so we brought up the concept of what we call cam surveillance. And we look for even subtle signs of cam impingement. For an example, we might not see an elevated alpha angle on your standard uh, Dunn views and or uh, AP pelvic views, but we might detect it on a false profile view, showing more of an uh, anteromedial uh, involvement. And then we uh, also showed um, that some of our patients could have normal non-impinging anatomy by alpha angle measurements, but could still have pathologic, I call it cam impingement because of uh, femoral retroversion or retrotorsion, or in uh, some patients that have supraphysiologic range of motion, really deep hip flexion, hyperflexion rotation. The audible at the line of scrimmage is uh, right Right before starting the surgery, we want to just remember that if we do an acid tabuloplasty, any type of rim trimming, or if a patient is having or has undergone a PAO or a reverse PAO, or has subspine impingement, uh, those things should all be factored in 
uh, to our game plan, to, to what we're going to actually uh, do in surgery. And as far as fundamentals, it's been shown that the, the labral fluid seal is talked a lot about uh, regarding the physiologic function of the labrum and it being uh, that function being lost with labral tears. But what's not talked about so much, but has been shared to me by people that know much more about this than I do, uh, is that the labral fluid seal is not a constant and is actually lost in uh, varying degrees of, of uh, deeper amounts of hip flexion, even in a perfectly anatomic hip. The other fundamental is that just like I started thinking that the classic Gons description of cam impingement was an anterolateral bump, that we now know that it can extend way more anteromedially and in some cases even posterior superiorly. And I think that's a very uh, important concept. Probably the, the most important concept though, the takeaway if, if you remember nothing else, is that it's it's crucial to do uh, arthroscopic dynamic testing uh, as the key so you can assess not only the, the volumetric depth of resection, but also the regional extent of resection, proximally, distally, and in many cases, anteromedially, and in some cases, even posteriorly. The other thing is the study that we'll talk about um, was focused on alpha angle, and that tends to be the focus of most discussions and most studies. But I feel that anterior offset is very important as well. And I always, always get an intraoperative fluoroscopic 45 degree done view uh, at the end of the procedure so that I feel comfortable that I've restored the anterior offset prior to uh, waking the patient up from anesthesia. The run pass option is now, you know, the ball has been snapped and you're in action, you're doing the surgery and you're making some uh, on the go decisions. And that involves again, uh, what I had already alluded to, a, a incremental femoroplasty guided by the depth and regional extent of the cam impingement that you see on your arthroscopic dynamic exam. And uh, and finally, the back of the playbook, I just mentioned in there how I prefer to do arthroscopy, uh, arthroscopic femoroplasty. I describe the area where I'm doing the femoroplasty as a room with a capsular roof, a floor, which is the, uh, the head, neck, bony, uh, osseous junction, and then uh, a capsular window. So you got a roof, a floor, and a window. And I start with the hip in uh, extension internal rotation to take care of the anterolateral impingement. Then I go to 40 degrees or mid-flexion with neutral rotation and do more of the uh, direct anterior decompression of the cam deformity. And then I will test dynamic range of motion and look arthroscopically. If the patient does not have uh, acceptable flex tip intern internal rotation, which I like seeing 30 degrees on uh, most patients, then I'll go ahead and go to the anteromedial critical corner 
and uh, do that in uh, increased flexion and often with some uh, external rotation as well. And that's where we'll see the resonance ridge of the hip uh, that we want to take down uh, with our CAM decompression. And then finally, with uh, posterior CAM impingement, uh, I found that uh, we're removing the posterior superior quadrant of the CAM deformity. Not so common, but it, it is present in some patients. And if it's missed, I think that that's a cause of continued symptoms and revision surgery. And I do those in extension, internal rotation, and I'll even add intermittent traction, uh, which helps me get proximal enough when I'm going real posteriorly. So I've noticed an evolution lately on the shape of the cam decompression that people are performing, whether it's more of a ball on a stick appearance or whether there's more of a graded slope from the head to the femoral neck. What are your thoughts on the shape or contour of the CAM decompression? So, Andre, I think it needs to be individualized. And, you know, I, I've had some patients that are more uh, gradual slope and others that required more of a ball on a stick. Uh, again, not a too skinny stick because we don't want to way over resect and get iatrogenic fractures. But the flip side is we don't want to leave residual bone there that's going to cause them to have revision surgeries, which have been shown not to be as successful as well-done primary surgeries. So I think the key takeaway, again, incremental resection guided by arthroscopic dynamic exam. Incremental meaning that start, start conservative with the resection because you can always resect more, but you can't resect less. And um, you want to avoid Again, any residual FAI morphology, which I try to assess uh, with the dynamic exam and see areas outside of the anterolateral quadrant that can still be causing uh, impingement on the labrum or the labral reconstruction that you may have just done. And uh, also being fully aware that an acetabuloplasty probably will reduce the extent of needed CAM resection. And then last point, which I alluded to, is in patients with more severe femoral retroversion, those patients might need a more aggressive uh, femoroplasty. And uh, there's limits to how much bone one can resect, obviously, because you don't want to put patients at high risk for a fracture. So those are the, the few patients that will talk to them about a derotational femoral osteotomy, which I like using an intramedullary saw and uh, fixing it uh, with an interlocking rod. Those are all excellent points. And I think, um, you know, obviously with the acetabular femoral or the acetabuloplasty as well, we have to be careful not to resect too much thinking on the other spectrum of um, dysplasia as well. Correct. Now, in the study that your commentary focused on, the authors conducted a cadaveric study in which an experienced surgeon and then a novice surgeon performed CAM decompressions with and without an intraoperative radiographic visualization tool, and they found that the novice surgeon had significantly more accurate CAM resections using the automated radiographic visualization tool than without it. However, there was no difference in the experienced surgeon's accuracy with and without this tool. 
And, you know, I think it's important to note that both of these surgeons were fellowship trained, but the experienced surgeon had a high volume hit practice and greater than 10 years of experience, while the novice surgeon had just graduated from fellowship. So when you read this article, what was your take on these findings? Is this what you would have expected? And what do you think it takes to turn a novice surgeon into an experienced one? Yeah, so to answer the first question, Andrea, um, the, the findings did not surprise me. And it made sense that a a highly skilled, experienced surgeon would probably not be helped by uh, this new technology as much as a uh, more novice surgeon, even fellowship trained. So that to me makes uh, total sense. I I did as I was reading the article that I was asked to to um, comment on. I thought it was interesting that they had set the proximal extent of the resection to such that the the automat, automated radiographic tool or instrument that they were using would uh, have a target goal of an alpha angle of 42 degrees. And they gave their rationale based on basic science and radiographic studies for that. But um, there's been more recent studies, one by Dome and AJSM, uh, very recently that showed um, better clinical outcomes and, and uh, longevity in hips if the alpha angle was reduced to uh, below 55 degrees. And then there was another uh, recent review, a systematic review out of uh, KSSTA that um, gave the same number that, that seemed to support uh, 55 or lower. So. My only comment there or concern would be that surgeons might try to get overly aggressive with the uh, proximal extent of the resection. And I would just hate to see them take away crucial weight-bearing articular cartilage in their endeavor to have a really low alpha angle. I think that that's where the anterior offset is important and comes into play as well, because I, I think it's crucial to, to restore the, the anterior offset. There, there was even a um, recent study out of uh, that Journal of uh, Hip Preservation that showed that using 3D CTs, that volumetric assessment of uh, these CAM bumps was more highly correlated with labral pathology than was uh, the alpha angle. So I, I, I think alpha angle is ubiquitous. It's used by all of us, including me, but it's only one parameter. And I think the takeaway is you can't get much better than looking at it with a scope and putting the hip through dynamic ranges of motion, including athletic arcs of motion. And if you can show that you have eradicated ongoing intingement there, even outside of the classic anterolateral quadrant, then I think you've served the patient well. That's an excellent point. And it certainly doesn't hurt to be an experienced expert hip arthroscopist when you're making those assessments. So I guess going back to that second question, what do you think your top points are in how to turn a novice surgeon into an experienced one? Is it technology? Is it simply time and number of cases? Are there any other things that you can think can help a novice surgeon become that expert surgeon? Well, again, it's, you know, I was a novice surgeon. All of us were at one point. 
And um, I know there was a study by Meta that suggested, I think, over 500 cases, 512 or something was needed to achieve a, a level of high confidence, low complications, and reoperation rate. I, I think that's really variable with the surgeon. I think some, some people and some surgeon are kind of wired to see two-dimensional images on a, on a monitor and be able to translate that to their fingertips into doing a, a three-dimensional surgery. And, I, and I'm actually not sure that's correlated with, uh, you know, uh, people playing video games, et cetera. I, th I think some people are just wired better than others to be able to do that, especially with a 70-degree arthroscope, which can be unnerving to all of us when we're used to using a more standard 30-degree arthroscope. I, I think a concern is I do get uh, referrals for revisions from surgeons that have typically only treated the anterolateral quadrant, and uh, often I see in those patients kind of a windshield wiper, uniplanar resection. It's just a flat resection. There's no three-dimensional sphericity uh, and contouring to that. And so that's something I would urge uh, young surgeons to shoot for a more three-dimensional sculpting. And again, getting into looking at the zones outside of the classic anterolateral quadrant. To, uh, learn that in practical terms. There's always courses like at the uh, uh, OLC, uh, the Orthopedic Learning Center in Chicago, which is wonderful. If you're fortunate enough to be able to hook up with a, uh, a mentor that has a significant experience, I think that's very important too. I, I mentioned that because, you know, I'm trying to get back in golf, into golf again. And uh, yeah, I hear the mantra, you know, it's not practice that makes perfect. It's perfect practice that makes perfect. And so you want to be practicing and taught by someone that can uh, do a proper CAMD compression. Cadaver labs are great if you can have access to them. And I even had a minimal amount of exposure to playing with some uh, virtual hip arthroscopy tools and even perform femoroplasty with that. So it'll be uh, interesting to see how that plays out as a, a learning tool and if that translates into better femoroplasties uh, and or better outcomes for the patients, which obviously is the ultimate goal. Those are all excellent points. And I love your thoughts on where hip arthroscopy and CAMD compression specifically might be in the future. So I'm looking forward to seeing what develops as well. Well, Dean, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Um, I've learned a lot. I think you've provided some expert um, advice on how to perform a perfect CAM decompression. Right. I, I would like to add, Andrea, though, that, you know, the perfect femoroplasty is going to vary depending on the patient's anatomy uh, and, and obviously the acetabular side procedures and anatomy. Uh, but I don't want people thinking that, you know, Dr. Matsuda's method is the only way to skin this femoroplasty cat. It's obviously not. Uh, there's lots of great surgeons that can do great femoroplasties on a consistent basis that use different techniques. So I would urge uh, the young surgeon uh, or the journeyman surgeon that wants to just improve her techniques 
to, to try to hook up with someone uh, that can uh, show them the ropes, show them their techniques, and then that individual can then choose to incorporate or not the specific tips that I'm sharing and the other surgeons are sharing. But again, mine's not the only way to do it. It's the way that's worked for me. Uh, it's evolved over time, and I reserve the right to have it evolve even further based on you know, uh, future emerging evidence. That's excellent. Thank you. Um, and again, I encourage all the readers to read your editorial. It was entertaining and enlightening at once. Dr. Matsuda's editorial commentary titled Incremental Decompression of Cam Femoroacetabular Impingement Must Be Assessed in Real Time by Arthroscopic Dynamic Examination, Playbook for the Perfect Femoroplasty, can be found in the April 2022 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal or online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. This concludes our episode of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. As always, if you enjoy our podcast, please leave us a five-star review. Thank you for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. 